Happy Father's Day to all the great dads out there. Um, I was just watching the video clip and so amazing. What struck me the most was the fact that most kids have no idea what their fathers do. They really don't. When you ask them, what does your dad do? They just say, work, work, and that's just the universal answer. They don't know exactly or specifically what their dad does, except for, I think, Mark's kids. They're the exception. They know exactly what their dad does. So uh, good job, all the fathers out there. Well, you know, every father has a very profound impact on their children's lives. Uh, whether it's positive or even negative, there is an impact on kids' lives. Even when the father is not around very much, or even those kids who've lost their father to um, early death, that also has an impact on children, the absence of a father as well. I know Father's Day is not as recognized, not as celebrated as much as Mother's Day. I know some fathers that complain about that. Um, and I've heard a few reasons for why that may be true. And um, what I heard was that dads are not as organized. Uh, they are not planned, they don't plan as well to be able to drop hints about what gifts they might want or what they expect to happen on their special day. And so things don't get planned, things don't um, happen for them. Um, and they're not as good as moms in milking that day for all it's worth. So maybe next year you dads can get your acts together and get your act together to really have your families celebrate you. Well, you know, Father's Day or even Mother's Day, for that matter, are not Christian holidays. And yet we do celebrate them. Because honoring our parents, which is what we do when we recognize these special dates and we um, honor our parents in that way, it is a commandment from God. Now, consider this for a moment. Of all the names, the titles, way of relating to God, the way of knowing God that Jesus could have taught us to have um, when addressing God, he chose the word Father. Abba, this just intimate word and this relational uh, thing of father. Remember in Luke chapter 11, when one of his disciples asks Jesus, Lord, uh, Jesus, teach us how to pray to God. And what does Jesus say? He instructs them saying, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed is your name. While we know that not all, most of the time, all our earthly fathers are good, all the time, we do know that our Heavenly Father is always good, all the time. He is the best. In fact, our Heavenly Father is the perfect Father. So today, I want to look at a perfect Father from the Bible. Can you guess who that would be? Who might be the perfect Father in the Bible? Well, the perfect Father is the prodigal son's father. In this parable, the prodigal son's father actually represents our heavenly father. And in this story, the father does everything right. He is perfection. So please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. We're going to be looking at verses 11 through 32. Although mostly this parable is titled and known throughout the ages as the parable, the prodigal son, which puts emphasis on the son, it's more a story about the father. 
It's really more a story about the loving father. And we know it as a story about the younger son that leaves and eventually returns home. Or emphasis has been put on the older son, uh, the older brother, um, who doesn't fully understand his relationship to the father. But the real focus, the real hero and the crux of the story is actually on the gracious and amazing love of the father, who here is God himself. We know that from chapter, um, in the beginning of this chapter, chapter 15 in verse 1, we know that Jesus is speaking and teaching um, around tax collectors and sinners, and also the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are around, and they're grumbling and they're mumbling because they're not happy about that. And he had just finished telling these two stories, the story of a lost sheep and also a story of a lost coin. So now I want to look at our story Um, the story of this lost son. Verses 11 and 12. Jesus continued, because he just talked about the sheep and the uh, coin. Jesus continues, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property. The father divided his property between them. According to the law, the younger son was entitled to a third of his father's wealth to his estate. And it was acceptable um, at that time for a man to divide his estate and give it to his heirs while he was still living, while he was still alive. But asking for it early, for this son to go to his dad and ask for it early, was basically saying to his dad, saying, Father, I wish you were dead. I can't wait any longer for you to die because I don't know when that's going to be. I want my share now. That's really quite rude for this son to be saying that to his dad. But how does the father respond? Well, here in the story, the father responds with much grace. He responds with love. And he gives his son what he wants, allowing his son to choose his own path and to choose his own future. The son wants what his father can give him. But it seems like He doesn't really want his father. In the same way, sadly, I think too often we have that same relationship with our Heavenly Father and we act the same way. So often we pray, God, give me blank. Fill in the blank with anything. Give me a better job. God, give me a spouse, a husband. God, give me healing for this. And so often we ask God for things and we want things from God but end up neglecting the giver. Let's continue. Verse 13. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had. He set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Distant country can represent any place that we try to run to to get away from God. He was making bad choices. He was living wild and he was burning through his money, right? And I wonder, actually, how long do you think it took for him to go through all that money and to spend it all? I wonder, actually, because the Bible doesn't say, how much actual time had passed. I also wonder if his father was keeping tabs on him. I mean, it's not unheard of, right? It wouldn't be unheard of because the father was wealthy. He also had many servants. And so he could have easily sent someone off to kind of uh, tail his son or kind of find his son, private investigator or something, and to bring back news about his son and how his son is doing. Because, to be honest, that's something I would do. 
my daughters are growing up. I have twins, and um, if they go away to college, I would keep tabs on them for sure. But even if this father did, even if he was aware of his son's situation at this time, it's clear that the father does not interfere. The father does not interfere because we know that things are going to go from bad to worse. But he allows his son this free will to make his own decisions, to choose and to make his own choices. That's hard for any parent to do. When you see your child headed for destruction and to just and to let that go, if you're a parent, you understand that is super, super hard to do. But that's exactly what the father does here with his son, his younger son. And it's exactly what our Heavenly Father does with us. Let's continue looking at verses 14 through 17. After this younger son, he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to a census, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. So these verses... He hits rock bottom. He's reduced to feeding pigs and, in fact, looking longingly at the food that the pigs are eating and wishing that he could have some of the pigs' food. He's been reduced to this, right? Rock bottom. And it's here that he comes to realize just how good home was, how good he had it at home, how his father provided for him and gave him everything that he needed. His father was a kind, was a good and generous man. How do we know this? Because he says it himself here that his, his father's servants had food to spare. And from that, it indicates, and we can see, that his father was very generous and that he provided well for his workers and for his servants, that he was a generous and good father. So with this thought, he begins to reason that it would be worthwhile for him to go back home and to plead for mercy from his father. And so the verses that we just read, 18 through 20a, he says, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants, because at least they have food, right? So he got up and went to his father. Some may wonder why the father agreed to give his son his share. And some may wonder, why didn't the father stop his son when his son left? Earlier in this chapter, Jesus told the story about the lost sheep and the lost coin, right? These two other parables that are found in Luke chapter 15. Let me read verse 4 about the lost sheep. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Also in verse 8. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. 
Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? In both of these stories, the person who has lost something goes to great length. She goes, she and he, they go to search for what is lost, and they expend great effort to find it. The shepherd, he has to leave the 99, but he doesn't just leave them. Um, he makes sure that they're okay, and then he goes off, and he searches and searches until that sheep is found. The woman who lost the coin, you can imagine, they didn't have electricity or anything, so she's got this lamp, and she's looking every nook and cranny of the house, maybe you know, picking up furniture, crawling on her hands, and um, knees looking for this lost coin. So they go through a lot, a lot of effort searching for these lost items. But in the story here of the lost son, the father does not go searching for his lost son in the distant land. Why not? Whereas the lost sheep and the lost coin didn't really have a choice about being found, the lost son did. Does that make sense? And whereas the lost sheep and the lost coin are unable to return on their own, the lost son is able to, if he wanted to. It involved great effort on the part of the shepherd and on the part of this woman to search for and to find their lost items. But I believe that it took an even greater effort for this father to not go off in search of his son, and to drag him home by the hair. Do you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying here, right? As a parent, you know that it's the greater effort to let your child go and do what he or she is going to do. It takes a greater supernatural effort to not go and drag your child home by the hair. So what does the father do? What does the father do here? He waits. He waits. He waits for his son to return on his own. And that's what our Heavenly Father does. Our Heavenly Father waits, waits for us to come to him. But it's not a passive, nonchalant, kind of, I don't care kind of waiting. Not at all. Definitely not. It's, a, it's an active, proactive kind of waiting. Look at verses 20b through 24. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Verse 20 says that while the son was still a long way off, while he was still far off, that his father saw him and ran out to meet him. You almost get the sense that the father was kind of scanning the horizon day after day, looking out and eagerly anticipating his son's return, just kind of scanning the horizon. 
actively watching and waiting for the son to come home. And it's absolutely unheard of. It's undignified for a man in that culture to run. It's like seeing like my father or an older uh, Asian person, because that's, uh, it's undignified as well for them, to see an older, in this Middle Eastern uh, culture as well, to, to see an older person, especially one with wealth and, and uh, prestige and, and title, for him to be running like that towards his son. It is unheard of. It's undignified. And even before the son finishes um, his well-rehearsed speech, because he was you know, thinking in his mind, okay, this is what I'm going to say when I get to my dad. Um, even before he finishes the speech, he gets hugged, he gets kissed, and before he gets to the part of the speech where he says, make me like one of your hired servants. It, do you realize, if you look at the text, that he doesn't even get to that part. He doesn't even get to say, make me like one of your hired servants. Before that, his father... He says to his servants, quick, you know, go, go get the robe, go get, bring the ring, go get the sandals, kill the fattened calf, let's celebrate, let's party. And this fattened calf is big enough and meat and food enough to celebrate with all his neighbors, all the townsfolk, for many, many to come. So it wasn't just a family celebration, but it was for all the towns to come and to celebrate because his father was so happy to have his son home. This is the heart of the father. But the story isn't over yet. As you know, it's not over yet. There's a second son. The father has to deal with another son, his older son, who also seems quite a bit lost here. So let's look at verses 25 to 32. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants over and asked him, hey, what's going on? Your brother has come back, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry, and he refused to go into the house. So his father came out to him and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. In some ways, the older brother here, he's more lost than the younger one. We see by his words and by his attitude that he had a resentful relationship with his father. He even refuses to acknowledge uh, his relationship with his own brother. Instead of saying, my brother returns and this is what you do, you notice, right, his wording here is that he says, this son of yours. He doesn't even claim him as his brother. He doesn't seem to appreciate the fact of all that he has, everything that, is, that he is entitled to, simply because he's a member of the family. He has been grudgingly out of whether it be uh, guilt, whether just resentment. Uh, he has been grudgingly being the dutiful, out of duty, staying home and being good to his father. Notice that the father leaves the party to go out to meet his older son, right? 
Leaving his guests during a party like that, he completely broke etiquette. Completely. That is just not done. You, as the host of a party, you do not leave the party, and you certainly don't go out to a sulking son who's out there all angry like this, right? A father just simply does not do that. In the same way that he ran to meet his younger son, it was so undignified for him to actually run to meet his son. He also leaves the party, breaks etiquette to go out to meet with his older brother. But the father does it. The father does it here in this story. Our Heavenly Father also meets us exactly where we are. Oftentimes when we're unable to come to him, our Heavenly Father comes to us. We see in this story his gracious, just amazing love for us. He indeed is the perfect father. In a world where so many of our fathers, our earthly fathers, are not perfect. In a world where so often times we hear about abuses and just the, the wrongs that fathers do. I remember that when I was in seminary up in Vancouver, British Columbia, we heard about this group. There was a panel discussion that we had, and it was women who were sexually abused by their fathers. And these women, the discussion was that, you know, we think nothing of calling God our Heavenly Father. Oh, you know, Father, Father God, Father God, Abba, Father, Heavenly Father. And we think nothing of it. But to these women, they absolutely could not call the God Almighty, the God of the heavens. They could not call our Heavenly Father the word Father because the word Simply the word father is associated with so much shame and, and pain. And I'd never thought about that because I had a good earthly father. He's passed away now, but I have really, really good memories and a good earthly father. But for those who do not have that same experience, to a father or earthly father that abused you, how then do you pray to our father who art in heaven? And that really, really broke me to think about that, that they've, for them, they've lost the word father, that precious word that all of us says, daddy, daddy, and we celebrate Father's Day. But for them, until healing comes, until the word father can be redeemed for them, they simply cannot call the heavenly father, father. But our heavenly father, the sovereign God, is the perfect father, just like we see in the story of this prodigal son, that he does everything right, and he is the perfect father. And that is such good news for those whose earthly fathers are far from perfect, because we can look to the heavenly father and know that we have a father, that he knows our names, and that he loves us. Even though our, our earthly fathers are far from perfect, our heavenly father is perfect. And we can count on our heavenly father. For those who have lost their fathers to an early death or to incarceration because they're in prison somewhere or through divorce when parents split and you know, mom or dad gets custody and so you don't get to see your dad often. For all these reasons, for those of us, for those people who go fatherless, this is good news, that our Heavenly Father, you do have a Father, and He knows your name. With all the attention these days on Black Lives Matter and just the injustices and everything that we hear going on with black lives, we're learning a lot about the dis disproportionate rate of incarceration and the death of black men in interactions with police. I mean, did you know that George Floyd, he was a father of five? 
Richard Brooks, father of four. So that's nine, nine um, kids that do not have a father now. So for all those who are growing up without a father, who don't have a father, on this Father's Day, we remember that we do have a heavenly father, a perfect father, and we honor them. We know from Exodus 20, verse 12, we have this commandment. Honor your father and your mother so that we may live long in the land that our Lord, our perfect father, is giving to us. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you, Lord, that on this Father's Day that we celebrate all the fathers. We know that our earthly fathers will fall short, that none of us have a perfect earthly father. But God, the good news is that our Heavenly Father is perfect, and we call you Abba. We call you Daddy. So on this Father's Day, as we honor and remember our fathers, would you come to us once again, just like the prodigal son's father ran to his younger son, just like the uh, father in the parable came out to talk to his older son who was, who was upset and sulking. Father, you meet us. You come out to us. A hundred times out of a hundred, you come to us. You never forsake us. So Lord, we celebrate the good news, the fact that we have a heavenly Father and that you are perfect. So Lord, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.